Hey, good morning. It's good to see all you um, Harvest Chapelites and those who don't go here. If you go somewhere else, it's good to be in the body of Christ this morning. And uh, welcome you if you're here for the first time. <clears throat> we, um, uh, if you have, don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, we have Bibles that we can get in your hands. So if anybody doesn't have a Bible and would like to have one to follow along, lift your hand. And we'll make sure that you get one in your hand. So... Yeah, this morning, guys, we want to be carving out of the text of uh, chapter 4 of Philippians. We're going to carve out seven verses, verses 1 through 7 of chapter 4. Now, guys, a guy by the name of E. Stanley Jones wrote this, The art of living is the least learned of all the arts. A man has learned the art of existing, getting by somehow with the demands of life, but yet not, not um, uh, conquering life or, you know, doing life properly. A lot of people can't cope with life, and a lot of people um, can call it a horrible experience. A lot of people do, and that's why we got um, chock full of uh, therapists and uh, psychotropic drugs and all those kind of things that that happen. We try to try to remedy life or what it has coming at you. Um, a lot of people don't like their job. A lot of people don't like the income they make, their spouse, their children. It's kind of sad, uh, but they just don't like anything. You know, it's like life is really hard. And uh, Job said it this way, that um, every man's born into trouble or into problems. So we're all born into trouble and problems. But I wanted to talk about um, six biblical principles that we're going to pull out of a joyful and a content life. Six biblical principles of a joyful and content life. Now, you don't have to have life push you around, but you can you know, dictate how your schedule goes and how you react to things. Um, you know, life has a way of coming right at you, doesn't it? I mean, you have to get up in the morning and boom, you face it. It's life. And all you have to do is wake up and there it is. Hi, I'm life. You can't hide from it. Uh, it it'll, it'll find you every time. Um, sometimes it, it drags itself along and can be quite painful a day. Some, uh, some days you can't wait for the day to be over because you want this part of your life over. So life can be tough, but I can tell you this. Life is hard, but God is good. And so I know that. So we want to, you know, a lot of times we want to do is we want to eat, we want to sleep, and we want to squeeze in our pleasure somewhere in that. I, you know, you get up, you, you know, you sleep, you, you eat, and somewhere in all that in life you want to add these little pleasures. And anything like intrusions or inconveniences or interruptions are not ex- that are not expected are really not very welcome. Um, <clears throat> for the most part, they are resisted. These unnecessary events to some of us have no redemption value or no redemptive value at all, and they can only be tolerated at best. And I don't believe that. And James tells us to count it all joy um, that you when you encounter various trials, for it is the perfecting of your faith. So we're supposed to count it all joy. Um, every problem can be pregnant with possibilities, and I do believe that. So it depends on how you're looking at life. And I think there's some things that we can draw out of the text about life. Um, every day will have situations come your way that you didn't plan for, right? So you moms, you know, you get up first thing in the morning. You didn't even get your first cup of coffee in, and boom, you wake up to a poopy diaper, it's like, oh, man, so that's life, you know. You didn't expect it, although you can't expect it when you're moms. Um, <clears throat> you know, you're on your way to work. You know, you, you go to the car and you have a flat tire. So that's not catastrophic, but it's very, very inconvenient. And it's not in your plans. But when, you're, when you go in to get your spare and it's flat, too, then it kind of adds to the dilemma, right? Mm, a, flat, a flat spare. So then you need to go to get your spare fixed or your flat fixed, and your wife can't take you until she takes the kids to school. So there's another maybe half hour to an hour you can't get to your tire, and you're late for work. Then you get your spare tire fixed. You come back, and your lug nuts are frozen, and you can't get them off. And so it just kind of adds to the, the, the problem. Bam, they're frozen. No, what do we do? Then you add people to it. After two hours, you're late already, and you get everything fixed, and you're on your way to work, and someone decides to drive 15 miles an hour slower, and you have no way of getting around it. (laughs) 
So what you do is you kind of go, you speed up behind the bumper, vroom, vroom, and you try, and the only two reactions you're going to get is you're going to scare the person or you're going to make them mad, and you don't want to do that. But so you're, you're going on, so they'll slam on the brakes, and you're going, vroom, and all of a sudden it's on. You know what I mean? I'm sure none of you guys have ever done that. This is the life of a pastor on the way to church. No, I'm just kidding. So, so you really, it produces that, these reactions, and you're doing everything. Back, matter of fact, you're getting in the flesh by this time. You certainly are not rejoicing. You're, you're not in the spirit. And your joy is gone, and the anxiety level is really cranked up, um, and the peace of God left you. And you know what? We don't have to have life dictate all how we feel. We can, we can as believers, do better than that. No one plans for their kids to get addicted. You know, there were 11 overdoses in two days in Lafayette, Indiana. None of them, fortunately, died. But, of course, some of them were Narcan back. 11 overdoses. Do you think those parents or those EMTs were expecting to have that many and his life through it that way? None of us plan to get cancer. No one plans to get Lyme's disease like my daughter April got. No one plans to have a head-on collision on the way to a prison while they're trying to do ministry. No one plans for the co-worker to betray them, or no pastor or no leader in a church plans that someone in the church will, will have, form a coup, leave the church, and try to start another church. We don't plan for those things. But how we react to those things are imperative, how we react and what we do and how we can handle it. So a lot of people say, why me? And um, I think, I, and, and I've talked to cancer patients, and you know what they've said? Why not me? Because it's to fall. I mean, a lot of people say, why me? Why does this happen? Well, you know, here you go. Well, I just plan to be trial-free, problem-free, cancer-free. Congratulations, you bought into the, one of the biggest lies of Satan in the church today, that God wants you healthy, he wants you wealthy, and problem-free, because you're a child of the king. I'm sorry, but that's not true. Life is hard, but God is good. And the way we handle life has got to be... And I think we have six principles here that equate to peace. And we're all looking for peace, right? And the peace of God just surpasses understanding. You know, I just want some peace. You come home and the kids are going off. I just want some peace. And, that's, and that is not the goal. The goal is to do what God tells us to do and how we, how we navigate through life. And this is what Paul's giving us here. So let's begin with verse 1. And, and let's begin. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Eudia and Sintichi to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit, now some of your translations will say, um, let moderation in your King James, some will say, uh, let your gentle spirit in NASB, which I like that translation, let your gentle spirit or forbearing spirit be known to all men, the Lord is near. And this isn't talking about the Lord's coming is near, it's talking about the Lord's near you. You know, he is with you, and so you need to be acting like Jesus. I mean, he is there. He's near. He said, I would never leave you, nor will I forsake you. So, um, then it says, be anxious for nothing and everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. All right, so let's begin with, therefore, my beloved brethren. Now, beloved, there means this, um, uh, brother and sister of the womb. Hey, guess what? And really, the womb means not the, the womb of the physical, but it's the spiritual womb. We are brethren born of the spirit, guys. You are family. <clears throat> no matter how you cut it, how you dice it, 
God has put us in the same family, so we are family. And therefore, we have to look at that, and that's how life is, especially in the church. You're in this sheep pen called Harvest Chapel. There's a sheep pen, you know, the Assembly of God. There's a sheep pen of the Baptist. And so we all have certain sheep pens. We are the all encountering the, the body of Christ, but you're in this particular sheep pen. We are a family. And that's how we do life. We navigate it with our church family, not just by ourselves, although we have to independently do things and make decisions. But guys, so no matter what you cut it, no matter who you are, no matter what you look like, you're my family. You're my brother. You're my sister. So he says, my beloved brethren whom I long to see. Now he longs to see. It's like yearning after. I have a puppy. And he's about a year old, and 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 when I come home, that little puppy wags his tail almost off his body, and he's so happy to see me. He yearns, even if I'm gone for two hours, to see me. And when I come home, or anybody in the family, he's just all happy. It's like. And uh, he's not always that way. Sometimes you lay in the cage when I come home and say, come on, you're part pit bull. Get out there and protect the family. And he's such a softy. I mean, he's not anything like you would think a, a, a pit bull would be. He's just like he's afraid of statues in the house. We, we put stuff in the house that's different and he gets scared. It's like, oh, come on, buddy. But the family of God, God also there is no distance between us. There's no time, no, no distance, nothing between us. Paul writes this letter. He's 12 years out from seeing this church body. He's hundreds and hundreds of miles away in Rome, and he writes them. He didn't say, hey, listen, I need to get reacquainted with you all. It's like he's just picking up. Therefore, my beloved brethren. And I have friends, and I pray that you have friends, that you can just pick up where you left off and not even see them a year or two. I have people in my life like that. I don't have, they're not high maintenance, and they're just, they're just there. They, they, they love me. I love them. We can just pick up. So, um, and guess what? Paul didn't have to maintain a relationship through a smartphone, through a text, or through Instagram, or email, or Facebook. He had none of that. We have all that at our disposal. And so, but we still fight and fuss, right? It's kind of crazy. If someone doesn't text you or answer your email, you're going, oh, your intentions, they don't like me anymore. They're, they're not, they're, they're ignoring me. And you just, you speculate, right? Now, maybe it's not me. Maybe it's just the Christians over in Williamsport with Greg, Tyra. I don't know. <laughs> but guys, we do. We speculate when things like that happen. And we shouldn't have to. We yearn for the people. I yearn to see some of, of, of you. And some of you probably don't yearn to see each other. Sometimes you may make your way on the other side of the sanctuary. I can't see them this week, you know. And, you know, guys, we really need to be a, a act as a family. We need to think the best, esteeming others higher than ourselves. Philippians 4.8 says, trusting in the intentions of all of our believers. So I learn and I yearn to see you, my joy and my crown. Um, Paul says, my joy. The word for joy there is kara, and it means like a calm delight. So there's something calming in the fact when I see some people. You ever have friends that are just calming to see you? you? go, oh man, I'm so glad you're here. It's just nice to see you. And he says, you are my joy. You calm me. You, you are, you, you, everything I, I want to do to be calm, you, you embody that. And that's a, that's a great friend. But then he says, you're my crown. Now there are a bunch of words for the word crown in the Bible. This is the word Stephanius. And it means it sets the victor out from all the other athletes. It was a, an Olympic crown that was given to those who would win in the Olympics in those days. And it would set the victor out way above everybody else. You are the Stephanus. You get the Stephanus crown. And this is the way that Paul views the church at Philippi. You guys are the Stephanus crown. You're my joy. You're my crown. I mean, it's an honor to have you as my friend. It's an honor to have you in our church. It's an honor to have you leading our children's ministry. It's just an honor. You're my crown and you're my joy. That's a, this, this, they say this part of Paul's writings and all of his letters is probably one of the most um, affirming and most intimate of all of, his part, all of his letters. This is real, real intimate, very, very loving, very, very personable. It's a personal part of his letters. He's telling them how much he loves them. And the only way you can do that is he's got to know them. 
And the only way you can know him, guys, is through the Spirit. And if he's been 12 years away from him, and he's hundreds of miles away, he still has a relationship with them. You know, I don't have to, made, I don't have to maintain all my relationships. Some, of, some people are more high-maintenance than others. But when you're walking in the Spirit, hey, guess what? We have, we have a bond that cannot be broken. So he says, my joy. First Thessalonians 2.19 says, who is our hope, our joy, or our crown? Is it not even you? You are our glory and our joy. You are the very thing that I'm proud of. You know, when I see my family, honestly, I'm so, they're my joy, they're my family, they're my crown, my wife's my, my crown. Um, my, my children, I, I just so blessed to have grandchildren. And then the church that we have, you know, guys, really, we wear our friends well. And we should wear our, not our acquaintances, but our close people to us. He says, he says that you're my joy, you're my crown. And, um, and this is how, so really, he's talking about this love that he has for them. In fact, this love, in fact, he's talking about the very end of when you put these six principles together, you'll have peace. And I'll get there in a minute. But let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, so that which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. Guys, if you are targeted as one of those that are loved by somebody, there is a peace that will happen, and that passes all understanding. Um, you ever get a, a, a letter of appreciation? At, this is a, a, um, a time of year that, that a lot of pastors get appreciation cards and things like that, and they make them feel so good, so hint, hint, no. Just send me a card, and I'll be happy. But um, a letter of appreciation, a valentine, my wife usually gets me a valentine, and it just really makes my day. She tells me how handsome I am, and, you know, and what a good pastor I am, and all that. I'm going, yeah, yeah, so... But it's being appreciated and affirmed. Um, you know, uh, my grandchildren, Grandpa, I love you. You're my favorite grandpa. And so those are things that really make us feel. And, and so this love gives us this standing that, that really we get this peace, guys, and it brings us our bond together. And that's how we do life is we affirm one another. You know, God doesn't say, you know, um, well, I made them, so I got to save them and I got to. I gotta love him. No, he doesn't. He's not tolerating you, I, you or I. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that he whoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He is madly in love with you, and he's not looking for any opportunity to drop the ball or and to 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 turn that love off. God's love letter to mankind is the most, and I believe it's the book of John. If you want to know what it is. But the true quality of love is exposed, and we're going to get into this, I believe, is exposed by the stresses and strains of our relationship with others, especially those who we work closest. R.C. Chapman. If you want to find out whether you really love someone, when the relationship gets in strain and it gets hard and things are happening, are we still going to stick with each other and love one another and work it out? All right, if you've never read... R.C. Sproul's little booklet called um, Agape Love. It's really, really a good book about how, how this man, through love, unique, uh, united a bunch of churches and took over a church and won them over. So, so the first, but here's number one when I say the number one thing of a principle. He says, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Number one principle that we can add. Okay, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. The word stand firm is a military term. It's to be stationary of God, uh, to be defended by God. Now, it was used by gladiators in those days. And what a gladiator would do if, in fact, that they were about to lose because one of the two or all, all, everybody that's out there fighting, there's going to be men that lose. And the guy loses his sword and his shield and definitely is looking at the opponent. He's got all the advantage. He's going to kill him. And, and he stands like this. He just stands firm and he's with dignity and honor because all the odds are against him but he's not going to go out as a coward and you know what guys that's what god wants us to stand firm when all the odds are against you and you feel like you can't make it you're just a stand in fact it says in ephesians having all that you can do and done stand firm then stand firm putting on the full armor of god and so the first thing I see that what we do and how we uh, in, uh, be joyful and content in life is to stand firm on what we believe. 
I believe uh, that God has called us to be and do the work here at Harvest Chapel. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe he was born of a virgin birth. I believe that the Holy Spirit baptizes us with power. I believe that Jesus is coming back via the rapture. I believe these things, and I stand firm in them. And there's nothing better but to have those who are are cohesive with you in your doctrine. And not everybody in this sheep pen, or some sheep pens, believe in eschatology. They don't believe pre-trib rapture. They believe post-trib. Some believe you've got to be baptized in, in, you know, in running water. Some, we just dunk you in a horse trough and we're good. And so, uh, but there are certain things that we stand firm on, and that is the deity of Christ, the exclusivity of Jesus as being the only way to heaven. You know, um, the Virgin Mary, we just, we just believe that. And that causes me to do life with you, and I can walk through life with you in cohesiveness and, and in power, because we believe the same thing. So he says, stand firm in the Lord. And uh, I think it's really important that you put that in the Lord. Paul says, in the Lord, 132 times in the Bible. So you get it? You can't stand firm. I'm just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and, you know, I just, I can do it on my own. You got to be broken down. No way can you make it on your own and you stand in the Lord. He has to take us down to a spot where all we have, like that gladiator, is I'm facing death and we are facing death. But I'm going out in dignity and I'm not going to deny my Lord and I'm going to stand firm in, in the faith. In the Lord, in the Beloved. Now, verse 2, we see there's a rift in the church. Okay? So, how do you get along? So, there's a rift in this church. Um, let's read it. I urge Eurodia and I urge Synthachi to live in harmony in the Lord. Point 2 is to live in harmony or to walk in love. But, you know, we need to stand firm, but actually we need to live in harmony. How do you do that? Um, now, this is not, they're, they're not basically, we don't get any um, doctrinal error here in the two ladies. They're very prominent ladies. In fact, Paul said they struggle with me in the Lord. They're really strong. They're probably leaders in the church. They're not pastors, but they're probably very influential in the church. And everybody's watching them. And Paul say, I'm urging you to get along and live in harmony. And it wasn't over um, misconduct of immorality or stealing funds or some major doctrinal differences like we don't believe Jesus is God. It was probably just something carnal. And they were arguing about something. And these ladies, if one of the ladies just died to themselves, if one of the ladies, instead of, you know, didn't have to be both of them, then the conflict would be over. But usually it's carnality that causes that. Uh, you know, and the Bible tells us in Philippians 2, 3 through 4, to esteem others higher than yourself. Thinking of someone else. You could just say, hey, you think I'm wrong? Okay, I'm wrong, unless it's really, really bad wrong. But I'm wrong. I'm, I'm not going to argue over that. The world wants to argue with that. Carnality is, is just not esteeming others higher than yourself. And these guys are leaders in the church, guys. Now he tells him, I urge you, he says, I urge you twice. King James says, I implore you. The Greek word is parakaleo. Para, the first part of that word, means to come alongside. Kaleo means to comfort. It's the same term, parakaletis, that we use for the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit uh, comes inside of you, he comforts you. He comes alongside and he comes in you. And he's saying, hey, listen, um, I want you two to parakaleo once another. Don't get buy some parakeets or something, but parakaleo one another. I want you guys to get along. And I want you, in fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 19, um, that he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19 says it pointedly. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So we should be all about, I'm urging you to, to reconcile. I'm urging you two ladies to get it together and uh, um, uh, to live in harmony. Um, live in harmony. Um, King James says, be of the same mind. Um, the word means to think the same thoughts at the same time about the same thing. Or cherish the views, the same views of, of others. How can you do that? How can I have the same thoughts at the same time about the same thing with you all the time? It is impossible without the Spirit of God. 
It's impossible unless we die to ourselves. And this is what he's saying here, that we're to live in harmony. Guys, we're going to have differences. But the way you're going to do life is you must love one another and live in harmony. The Bible says in 12, Romans 12, 16, Paul says, be of the same mind toward one another. Romans 15, 5 in the NASV says the exact same thing. Be of the same mind. And the Bible tells us that we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 The mind of Christ is not going to banter over doctrinal issues or philosophies. It's going to love one another and we can be of the same mind in Harvest Chapel. And I guarantee you, you're going to encounter where there's going to be people that you will not agree with and things will happen and things will be done. And you may argue, I remember one church, they argued why they put green carpet on the stage. Or why they didn't carpet the sanctuary. Well, guys, we didn't carpet this. No, that's not our problem. But we didn't carpet the sanctuary because we don't have enough money. So we just did what we did. We put purple carpet up here and nobody said anything. But there are churches that fight over stuff like that. It's like, are you kidding me? You know? When you think you're right, and across town you've got a brother that thinks they're right, you're thinking like the world. They're right. They think they're right, but I'm right. And guys, it doesn't matter. And there are people who fight how much money they should give to missions, whether we should do, put money towards street ministry outreach. Maybe some people are, are conflicted having a boxing ring and a sanctuary. And guys, you know, um, those are issues that if you're fighting over those or you find a difference in those, it's, that borderline's being carnal. You're not living in harmony. And that's one of the principles how we get a content life and a a joyful life is we just don't fight over little menial things that are no big deal. Forget your thoughts. Think Christ's thoughts. I will say this in every conflict that I see in the church um, basically, it's a, a pride keeps us from making up or saying we were wrong or we're sorry. Pride does that. And we need to just lay down our pride because you know what? If you think you've done it on your own, then you're badly mistaken. You've only been there by the grace of God. In fact, if you have conflict with a brother, and, and, and basically we go to Matthew 18, in verse 15, if you read the whole text, but if your brother sins against you, or let's just say you sin against your brother, what does the Bible say? That you go to your brother and tell him. You don't text him. You don't Instagram him. You don't email him. You don't Facebook him. You go to him. And you speak face to face. Listen, bro, you offended me because you can't tell the inflection of a voice or a facial by a text. We're to go, I think it was written for all of us in social media. Social media can be good, and social media can be bad. I've had people quit ministries here and text to me, I'm no longer going to be on staff. I'm no longer going to be on in ministry. I'm just giving you this text to let you know. I'm going, serious? So why don't you just come to me, you know, so that we can punch it out. No, just <laughs> I'm just kidding. But you know why? You want to be able to confront people. You need to be with people to live in harmony. When asking for forgiveness, guys, it has to be done face-to-face or extending grace. Psalm 133.1, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together, not for brethren to argue together or banter over different things. Hebrews 12, verses 14 to 15, the, the, the whole gist of it says, Pursue peace with all men. Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And that's what we need to be, is at peace with all men. And this is what he's telling the two gals. You guys need to be at peace. This is a part of just doing life together. You know, it's okay if you've had a a rift with somebody, and you're not on just, you know, it's not like you're going to walk up to each other and hug each other and say, oh, joy, I love you, bro. There might be a break in the the relationship. That's just life, guys. That that happens in the body. You know, it just happens, and and if you don't really think that happens, live, be at Harvest Chapel long enough, and you'll see that unfold. So sometimes I don't always feel easy after I've been hurt or I've hurt somebody and there's been a, a rift, but I work it out, and I don't stay that way. It's not the worst thing in the world, but if you're confronting people and loving them and trying to work it out, that's what God wants. It happens. Then it says here 
Indeed, true comrade, I ask you to help these women who have shared in my struggle. Paul's saying, hey, these guys have really worked with me in the gospel, in the case of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So he's saying, who is the comrade here? Some people think it might be Epiphrates, who is the pastor, or Epiphras, who is the pastor of this church. Some, because it's in the singular, some theologians had derived that it was Eudia, I'm not Eudia, but it was um, Lydia. If you remember, Lydia was the first convert there at Philippi in, in, in the whole of um, Macedonia, in the European nation. So she was a very prominent part of this church, and I think these ladies were too. So what I, it could, I could lean that way, I can't be dogmatic, but I tell you, women should minister to women and men to men. I'm not going to take some lady into my office and shut the door and minister to her or ride in a car. We have a policy that, that, that I don't do that unless my wife's with me or if there's a lady and her husband's with her or even if she's single. I very rarely will shut the door or ride alone in a car unless it's been an emergency like in a car situation. But guys, women need to minister to women. It's the good thing, and men need to minister. I don't want to be uh, guilty of, of, you know, a lot of times pastors who have ministered behind closed doors have been accused of making sexual advances when they didn't really, and then it's blown up in the church, and they get almost uh, to the point where they lose their licenses for it. Or that the other, the, the, if you're ministering to the opposite sex, they become affectionate with you somehow. And you can alleviate that by not doing it. So it very well could be Lydia. He's telling Lydia, true comrade, I don't know. And what you do, these two ladies, you know who they are. They're, they're pretty prominent. Help me with them. How many of you think you need help with ladies arguing? <laughs> it's the same with guys, I'm saying guys. I'm not dogging the ladies here, but. Get the ladies arguing. It's kind of fun sometimes. So I'm just saying. <laughs> I love you, ladies. Um, my fellow workers, and they're written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Just, just as a side note, let me just say this about the Lamb's Book of Life. It's interesting that the Bible says in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 12, that at the great white throne judgment, what happens? The books, plural, were open, and then another book of life was opened. Revelation 20.15 says that their names were not found into the book of life. So what happened? They were thrown into the lake of fire. Romans, uh, Revelation 21 verse 27, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In fact, Revelation 13.8 says the book of life of the Lamb. Now, I'm just saying here, and I, and I think this is true, there are two books, there are, a lot, there are plural books in the Bible, there are two that we want to be concerned with here. One would be the book of life, and one will be the Lamb's book of life. I do believe every person is written in the book of life. They're just written there because it says in, uh, um, um, actually, Revelation 3, 5, that um, Jesus would not erase or will erase people out of the book of life for his sin. You can read it in 3, 5, or Psalm 69, 27 through 28, that they may be blotted out of the book of life. So there can be this blotting out of the book of life, okay? And so, but what book is he talking about here? And I believe he's talking about the Lamb's book of life. Everyone's been written in the book of life, which can be erased. It's kind of like when you get written in the Lamb's book of life, it's like a computer. You copy and you paste. Copy over from the book of life to the Lamb's book of life. And there you are. And the only way you can enter the Lamb's book of life is to be born again. And so, I, so when we look at this, I think there's more than one book. I think possibly the ones that are erased are, are, are erased, and is that out of the Lamb's Book of Life? And many of you will hold me to, to that on, you say, what do you mean erased out of the Lamb's Book of Life? You mean, were they saved and erased out of that? It's just a case in point. I don't know, you know, but I do believe that man can walk away from Jesus as a born-again believer. I don't believe, though, it's easy, and I believe, in, um, I've heard MacArthur teach on this, I've heard many teachers, and I'm not going to get into the sovereignty of God and, and uh, the free will of man. They are both taught, but you cannot take away man's free will, because if that were so, then man's free will, uh, then we would be just robots. God, does not, God did not tell Hitler to kill all those Jews 
And Mussolini, it was not God that influenced it. It was man. It was man's evil will that did that. I hold to that. But I do believe God has a power over our mind and our will that helps uh, get influenced. But you cannot take that out of there. Because when you do, it starts to become a real dicey formula. And it's been argued for years. I've got good friends on both sides of it. But I just have a hard time thinking that I don't have a free will in the things I do. Might as well take 1 John 1, 9 out of the Bible. Because if I sin, I confess my sins, that means God doesn't want me to sin. But if I sin, my will wants to sin. I know it's not that simple. I'm not trying to be complex here, guys. I, you know, there are many men who went before me who have studied this. But I have to land somewhere. And in the Lamb's Book of Life, can, you, can we be taken out and erased? You can go figure. But I just believe there's two books here we're dealing with. Now, he says also... Um, then he says, number three, the third point I see as a principle for having a joyful and content life or a peaceful life is rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And this is one of the songs that we used to sing when I first got saved. Many of you guys have been around during the Jesus movement and you were saved and there was a song called Rejoice in the Lord Always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. And you probably think, that's awful old school. I'm going to tell you straight up, that's where I was brought up on. And these are the songs that gave joy to my heart. And we were singing scripture songs when I first got born again. Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Rejoice when it's beneficial to you. When things are going well, no, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, and again, I'll say it again. I sound, the sake of sounding repetitious, rejoice. Rejoice. Now, what is joy, which is mentioned 19 times in some form or another in this book, whether it's joy, rejoice, or be joyful, it's 19 times. And what he's saying, and you know what joy is? The little... I don't even know what you call those acronyms, but Jesus, others, and yourself. And when you put Jesus first, others second, and yourself last, you'll be walking in joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And Paul says, if you want to do life, you've got to be joyful. You've got to stand firm. You've got to live in harmony. That's why people are so unhappy with life, because they don't even understand these principles. Christians don't understand these principles. We need to take them to heart. Rejoice in the Lord always. Then it says, let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Of course, the Lord being near that he said he would never leave us nor forsake us. That God is always with us even until the end. And um, so I remember those words really comforted me during my first depression. I went through a really bad depression. And uh, Melba Bundrick, down to your mom, she would tell me, Tommy, the Lord said he'd never leave you nor will he forsake you. He said he's always with you till the end. And she would tell me that. And you know what? Those words comforted me. They brought me great joy in knowing that I was going to get through whatever I was going through. And I knew that. Let your forbearing spirit. And the word forbearing there um, in the King James could be um, interpreted, what is interpreted moderate. Um, NASB, not the NASV, not to be confused with the NIV and the NLT and the KJV and, the, and all those, you know. But the NASB or, uh, tells us that, that let your gentle spirit be, for, uh, and be known to all men. Being gentle or meek isn't a display of weakness. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.25, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. There are people that will oppose your walk with the Lord, oppose your doctrine, that will oppose, as a pastor, I get opposition a lot. And I'm not to be curt or derogatory with them or sarcastic. I'm to be gentle. I couldn't even imagine. Oh, Paul was firm in some of the things. He was a gentle man. He was very loving and very caring. And I think that, that way, when, in fact, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, if any man's caught in a trespass, that you who are spiritual, restore them in the spirit of gentleness. When somebody has sinned against you or has sinned, you're to be gentle with them. And it goes a long, long way. I watch my wife to be gentle with my son Josh, and she is a saint in that area. She's a very gentle woman. She's gentle with me. 
She's loving with me. I can be like cut and dry, boom, boom, this is the way it is. And the Lord never wants us that way. And the way you way Udia and Sintichi, how do you handle that? You need to be gentle. You need to be joyful. Come on, you're doing life together. You need to be gentle with one another. In fact, you ladies, 1 Peter 3, 4 says that God has given you the quality of a gentle and quiet spirit in which your husband cannot deny and can be won over to the faith because of what? You're nagging and you're like a dripping drip coming out of the ceiling. You know, I'm just talking Proverbs here. You can't nag at him. You're just your gentle and quiet spirit. Being very, very loving, you can win your husband over in areas spiritually or even into the faith. So I believe gentleness is one of the keys as we walk and do life, as we handle people with gentleness, with kindness, and not being. And when I'm dealing with um, issues in the church, my heart is to be gentle. And my heart, and I have to ask the Lord to make me gentle because I don't always feel gentle. When someone says and gets a rise up, and you know you get that rise, you're all but gentle. So you are, you don't know who you're messing with. And it doesn't work like that. It's like, okay, uh, it's a spiritual discipline. I'm going to be gentle. Lord, I don't feel it, but I can do it. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. I will be gentle in my recourse of what they're saying about me or the church. And when kids are in sin and when people are in sin, you don't, you'll never win them over just because I told you. I mean, there's a part of that can work, but guys, our kids need to know that we love them and we're being gentle in our correction with them. He says, in your forbearing spirit, no, to, to all men, even non-believers, not just the body of Christ, the Lord is near. So if the Lord's near, you need to be rejoicing. You need to be gentle you need to stand firm and live in harmony and then the uh, number five is be anxious for nothing and number six but in everything by prayer number six and supplication let your request be made known to god you know the lord tells us in first peter 5 7 to cast all of our anxiety upon him why because he cares for you and then Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you and he will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Could you imagine walking in a non-shakable, non-anxiety life? It's not the peace that surpasses all Paxil or Effexor. It's the, pa- the peace that passes all understanding. That you can't figure it out. And again, I'm not dogging psychotropics or anything like that. I mean... Um, but I think we are so dependent upon some of those things in our world, therapy and counselors and drugs, that we miss the mark of just this peace that, that passes all understanding. But be anxious for nothing. That means, in the Greek, nothing. <laughs> uh, nothing. Well, I've got to worry about it because if I don't worry about it, it won't get done. I've got to get this done. And guys, the moment you do that, you're, you know, we all want to adopt worrying as a part of getting stuff done. And it's, you don't do stuff out of anxiety and worry. You do it because God's given you the strength. But in everything, so there's nothing in everything. Nothing, be anxious. In everything, everything, prayer. Everything. Are you taking it all to prayer? Prayer is the ultimate act of saying, I'm totally dependent upon you, God. That's crazy. I got a, there's a light, some, there's some reflecting, there's a sun's reflecting off of this car here, and I'm just like, I'm blinded. I can't even see you guys. So I stand over here, I can. <laughs> Sorry. I'm break it up here. But prayer is the answer, guys, and it's the ultimate act of surrender. Guys, we can do nothing without prayer. And when I, it's one, again, the, the most neglected of all the spiritual disciplines that we, we encounter. Guys, and if I don't pray as your pastor, you could be in trouble. So pray that I pray, because there are seasons where I'm not in prayer like I should be. And I, I have to ask the Lord, Lord, would you please beef that up and help me, because I'm to do everything by prayer. We made this decision in this building, and we prayed about it. And I didn't, you know, one thing that governed it was that the peace of God surpasses all understanding. We had peace. We had men that investigated every part 
of putting the, the, the body, I mean, putting the finances together, how much we could actually rent. We couldn't rent that room, what our utilities would be. And we prayed about it. And we had a peace that surpassed all, all understanding. We prayed about it. And what, and, a complete opposite, not opposite, but when we were down at the coffee house, we prayed that God would set the coffee house up as a church, and we were going to make a balcony and really build onto the church. We had thousands and thousands of dollars that were vested in in an an engineer who engineered the building, and we came up with all kinds of problems, and and I finally started, I didn't have peace, although we had thousands of dollars vested toward getting this building, God took away my peace, and 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 if we would have pursued that building, I, later I found out that it would have been a disaster. That, yeah, the engineers built it like we wanted them to, but then I had other engineers said, you, you guys wouldn't have liked it, it wouldn't have worked, and it was they did it the way you wanted. And I'm faulting them, they just did. So the Lord took the peace away, and we began to pray. And it, Did we pray about it? Yeah. But one thing about this building, we know we're supposed to be here. We know that we're supposed to reach these kids over here. We know we're supposed to do it by whatever means, whether coffee houses and boxing rings and outreaches. We're going to have our, our harvest outreach down on Wabash Avenue. Once you guys to come. We're going to do it because God has given us the peace to do it. And so he says that prayer, uh, prayer and supplication. So there's the general prayer of lining up with God and enjoying his presence, but there's supplication. When, when we were praying for Gator Mullendor, we prayed. Yes. And we asked the Lord, would you please, Lord, heal Gator? Heal and so the Lord basically, you know, did in his ultimate care and took him home. But you didn't think there was some supplication going on. I know Karen knows that. And, um, but God gave us peace. By taking him. It's not easy. And we have to walk through the aftermath of it. But you know, I'd rather walk through the aftermath of something like that and have peace than to try to do it on my own. And guys, we need to supplicate for one another. We pray. We pray for our city. We pray on Wednesday night. You know, and I know I can get up here and hoop and holler about it and there's no difference. It has to be a move of God. My prayer is that God will move on your heart to pray with us. Because we're praying for our mayor, we're praying for the attorneys, we're praying for our, our police department, we're praying for Jeff Tecumseh, we're praying for Avonics, we're praying for you know Eli Lilly. Guys, we, are, we need to bathe our city in prayer. We need to supplicate. We need to get on our hands and knees and say, we got a, a problem in our society, and we're heading towards socialism. That's not going to stop. We're go- we're going to go there. I mean, I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but it's just the way it is. Antichrist will come in and set up a one-world government, and everything's lining up. I just ask for some reprieve. Maybe give us some more years of freedom from that, so that we can tell people more about Jesus. But if it comes in, boom, we're sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. We're on a win-win situation, church. It's a win-win. If it comes, which is going to, fine. If it doesn't, we're we're, we're going to tell more and more people about Jesus. And that is what God has called us to do, to pray for our city and to supplicate. But prayer is incomplete without thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. So a prayer can be, oh Lord, would you please touch on them? Or do we thank the Lord? Father, I just thank you. Because God will answer your prayer every time. So you can, in all earnesty, say, Lord, I thank you. Because he's going to answer you one of three ways. And how many of you know what they are? Yes, or no, or wait. Now, the hardest one is the wait. I can deal with no, and I don't like it. But when it says wait, I'm going, wait a minute, wait on what? (laughs) Well, come on, Lord, we're supposed to get this done. I like the yes the best. But we need to thank the Lord for when we pray and say, Lord, I want to thank you because I know I'm praying in the center of your will. This is what you want. So I want to thank you. And even if you don't want it, you're still going to answer my prayers. So I just want to thank you. And a prayer without thanksgiving is an incomplete prayer. We've got to pray with thanksgiving. And then we let, let our requests made known. I have a lot of them. Sometimes I don't even know where to begin. So if you don't know where to begin, just start somewhere and let the Holy Spirit lead you. There's a lot of needs that, that, that are represented here in this body, but in our city. 
So we do we do that we do we're not to be anxious, we're to pray pray, and the end result of all this is verse seven. Then the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension or understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So the peace not with God, the moment you gave your life to Jesus, you have peace with God, Romans five one. We're justified, so we have peace. The moment you said, Jesus, come into my heart, we're no longer at odds with him. We're now no longer an enemy, uh, enemy of his. We're, we have peace with God, our relationship. But there are a lot of Christians that don't have the peace of God. That is why life gets hard. Because if you don't apply these principles, you will, you will be lacking peace, and life becomes complicated, and it bosses you around. Instead of you doing life, life does you. It just pushes you around. You get up, and every situation is a catastrophe. Instead of going, wow, Lord, you know what? I don't let life mess me around. I, don't let, I, I, I want Jesus to lead my day. And this peace of God. So you can have peace with God, but there are a lot of Christians that you may be even here this morning, and you don't have the peace of God. You're struggling in your heart, and you, you don't have that peace. That is not God's will. It doesn't mean that we don't wrestle with things in life. But if you're in a constant turmoil all the time and not receiving any peace of God, that peace that surpasses all understanding, that peace that, that when, um, when my wife Terry got a lump in her breast and I was scared to death and I just gave it to God and he gave me the peace of God. That, you know, if he took her, he took her. I, you know, I had to be good with that. It was his. She's his, you know. Um, when someone is sick and the Lord takes them, you get this peace of God. You can't explain it. Matter of fact, it's beyond comprehension. They say, why aren't you worried about your job? Why aren't you worried about your children? Why aren't you? And they say, because I got this peace that I can't explain. So if you try to explain it, you look like a fool. It's unexplainable. It's just, I got it, and I'm good with it. And it has to come through prayer. And so we look at these six elements, standing firm, living in harmony, rejoicing, being gentle, and not walk in anxiety and prayer. It will result every time in peace. Now, I don't want this to be a formula because there's a lot more elements to walking in peace and there's a lot more elements to walking and doing life. But if life is pushing you around this morning, you just say, stop. And say that I'm going to pray about this because I want to be led by peace. You don't have to walk in turmoil all the time. It is not what God wants for the church. And sometimes I see it on the church where some of y'all walk in, and I do too, all heavy laden, your, your face is all down, and you know, you sing, this is, you know, you may sing some of the worship songs, and there's no, it's like, guys, go ahead and lift your hands and, and just like a child. Daddy, Daddy, praise you. The worship was good this morning. Brad did a great job. Great selection on the songs. Great worship. Yes, Trent wasn't here. We didn't have our band. And, uh, and we can know that the church isn't ran by me nor Trent. It's ran by Jesus. And uh, so um, we didn't have the band, but it was just, just as good. It was it, meaningful worship. We should be coming in here and saying, okay, the final thing. Are you asleep this morning? Or are you awake? Are you praising God or are you just taken? 